We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with... Jasmine Allnut. I was going to say the effervescent... Ooh, Jasmine on that. I'm not feeling effervescent today. I have jet lag, but that's okay. Where have you been? I was in Scotland visiting my sister's family, so it was really fun. And (laughs) and that's probably that's probably part of why we love these stories. Yes, you mean the British ones? Are you the British ones? Yes, because we have a British one, right? We do. Nice lead in. How about that? That was smooth, Cheryl. We didn't even plan that, folks. Okay, Mm -mm. (laughs) we're gonna do. Uh, Lady Selena Hastings, also known as the Countess of Huntingdon. And this is kind of piggybacking a little bit on Susanna Wesley. You might remember we talked about her as kind of the mother of Methodism in a way because she was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who were significant revival figures in the uh, early 1700s, 18th century. And so uh, Selena, who we're going to talk about today, Um, has been called kind of the patroness of Methodism because she, once the movement was going, she really stepped in and played a huge role in making it work and continuing uh, to support it. And so um, she, like I said, she was known, especially because of her connection with not just John and Charles Wesley, but George Whitfield. And we're going to see that was her major connection with the revival movement, but all of them together. I mean, it was really neat how they all kind of joined together and became part of this huge revival in the UK that went on throughout the mid-1700s. So um, Selena, as you probably can tell, as a countess, she was aristocratic background, right? Yes, and she was born in a castle. Oh, yes. Oh, I mean, and she was like legit, like uh, she actually was descended from royalty from way back. Her great-grandfather, Sir Robert Shirley, was a descendant of Edward the Confessor. And so that's like going back uh, before William the Conqueror, he was like right. the last of the Anglo-Saxon kings, and so I mean, this is like quite a quite a remarkable heritage. Um, and her great grandfather Robert, he was a devout Protestant, actually considered a very great and godly man, and he actually died because he took a stand against Oliver Cromwell uh, because he believed in the restoration of the monarchy. And so, I mean, but it was, it was yes. And uh, we talked about this before. Oliver Cromwell was really a, a mixed bag mm-hmm. because he was a Puritan. But, you know, he was against the reformers. Yeah, he got kind of violent in the way he, just very overly aggressive in how he Absolutely. handled his reform. And Absolutely. so, yeah, he really was a mixed bag. It was kind of no tolerance with him, yeah. which is interesting because they had felt that Charles I was also no tolerance. Oh, geez. And so Charles II, when he came in, he had to sign a policy of, of tolerance. Yeah, interesting. Religious tolerance. Mm-hmm. I know, and how ironic that the Puritans are like, we want religious toleration, but we're not going to tolerate you. Exactly. Like, oh, my it's gosh. not a good move. No. <laughs> so um, Robert's son, who would have been Selena's grandpa, became the first Earl Ferrers. And then his son, her dad, his name was Washington Shirley. And this is interesting. His first wife was George Washington's ancestor. So, And Selena was actually born to his second wife, but there's still just this really remarkable, illustrious heritage going on here. Um, Unfortunately, however, um, there was a lot of family drama. I won't get into the details. It's not really that significant to her story, other than the fact that there was a fallout between her grandfather and her dad, um, which, you know, was really trying and very difficult for the family. And then later, Selena's own parents had a falling out because her dad was just constantly unfaithful. And so uh, her mom actually left, which is kind of unusual, I would think, back Especially then. in those times, right? Yeah, exactly. She because like, Dan Askey tried that, and it didn't work yeah, so well. totally. Didn't work for her. Maybe <laughs> because this was a aristocrat, she was, 
or well, higher up the yes, ranks. I don't know. Maybe. maybe it's okay. I know. Anne Askey would thought she was safe yeah, because she was um, aristocracy. Yeah. But I think you're just a hundred or so years uh, past. Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. We are past Anne Askew's time. So. So I think by this time there was. Maybe Probably more. more toleration. Yeah. In that. And, yeah. And like women could maybe put their foot down a little bit more. So, I, but you know, that just obviously cast a real shadow on Selena's childhood. Mm-hmm. And so as a young girl, she was very quiet and serious and somber. Um, she was considered to have a remarkable spiritual sensitivity. And some of that, of course, came from everything she had gone through with her family, but also, um, there was a local child in the neighborhood who was her age who passed away, uh, presumably one of her friends who died. And that really made a huge impression on her. And so she would actually go and regularly visit this little girl's grave. So Mm. there was something about just, you know, just eternal things that really um, stuck with her and made her think. And she was just a very, like I said, introspective young girl. But as often happens, once she became a teenager, you know, her interest in the things of God kind of faded out and um, was replaced by High society, right? I mean, gosh, she's an aristocrat, so she's getting all into all the distractions. And we're talking of, 13, 14, oh, yeah. 15. I mean, we're talking young. Young. But you, back then, I mean. I was listening to a podcast that I love, um, The Rest is History by Tom Holland. And they were saying that it was really only the aristocracy that married young. Interesting. Because I had thought that everyone married young. Because yeah. you hear about these 16 and 17-year-old yeah. brides. Yeah. Um, but they said, no, that was among the aristocracy because they were arranged marriages. Oh, that's very true. But the true. poorer class, because they were working so hard, they usually got married in their 20s and later on. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah, and boy, never assume. A little fun fact there. <laughs> I like that. And so— um, Selena, because, well, and that's true, right? Because they go out into, what is that called when they go out into society? Not like a debutante ball. That Mm -hmm. might have been later on in time, but just that whole thing, you know? Um, And so she went into society and became this charming and popular young woman. She was very vivacious. So she kind of got over the hump with all of that melancholy from her youth. Um, And uh, she got to know a lot of very celebrated British figures in that day. But it's interesting because even though outwardly she's doing all of this and, uh, you know, trying to be popular and known and and connect with important people. Deep down, she still had some of the remnants of that childhood desire for spiritual things. And she started to really get dissatisfied with how superficial and frivolous all of this aristocratic lifestyle was. Um, one of her biographers said that she would actually pray that she might escape her lifestyle by marrying into a family who was serious about the things of God. Mm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so apparently the Lord heard her prayer because <laughs> soon after this, she met this very um, upright young man named Theophilus. Now, I heard that that was arranged by her half-sister. Mm. Her older half-sister was um, very devout. Um, she was known as a religious uh, philanthropist and supporter of women's education. And she arranged the meeting between them. Oh, two. she must have seen something in Selena. Mm-hmm. And, and Theophilus. And him, and him clearly, mm-hmm. yes. So I love that. That's so cool. So yes. Theophilus, uh, which was, is what a means lover of grief. God. Yeah, how about that? Yes. Very fitting. Mm-hmm. He was actually the ninth Earl of Huntingdon. So that's why she became the Countess of Huntingdon. Um, and they genuinely fell in love. So this was a love match, interestingly, even though, you know, the sister might have arranged the meeting. Um, they really hit it off. They were married June of 1728, and they settled on Theophilus' estate, which was called Donington Hall. And she was 17 years old. 
Right. She was still quite young. Uh, Theophilus and Selena were um, very well matched, and they were both very involved in serving with the Church of England. So they're very strong Anglicans. They raised their sons and three, four sons and three daughters. Um, Sadly, only one of them outlived her. Mm. Um, So terrible. Some of them, you know, they lived a little longer, but uh, into adulthood, but didn't make it past her. That must have been so hard. Yeah. And I read that she gave birth to seven children in the first 10 years of her marriage. Wow. And only four survived. Or no, four that Five made survived. it out of infancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, they died, you know, mm-hmm. again, died too young, basically. Yep. So she was very loved and respected at Donington and throughout the community. And, you know, they're members of the upper aristocracy still. In fact, they actually had a house at 12 Downing Street, not 10 Downing Street where the prime minister is, but, you know, very close. Practically last next yes. door. So that, I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> and so they were at court all the time, pretty regularly. They were in London, you know, to be found with the rest of the uppity ups. But uh, even though, you know, they were living this very moral, very rewarding life, or so it seemed, um, Selena continued to find herself struggling spiritually. So even though, yeah, okay, I married a man who, you know, lover of God, he wants to be involved in the church. We're like-minded this way. But there was something missing in her life. And in her mid-late 20s, this really started to bother her. So um, it's neat because, remember, she had prayed she would marry into a godly family. So not just her husband, but uh, his four unmarried sisters actually were all vibrant Christians uh, with genuine conversion experiences. And that kind of set them apart. Again, she and Theophilus were very religious and very Anglican, but these girls had something else. And so as Selena was spending time with these girls, she began to really want uh, the assurance of salvation that they all had, that she realized she didn't have. And so, like I said, she's here devoted to the Anglican church, but she started to realize her relationship with God, if it was a relationship, was all about her works and being very righteous, very upright. It wasn't about Christ's righteousness. And so she was always dealing with doubt, anxiety, very similar to John Wesley in his Anglican experience um, just before he really got saved. You know, he said, I went to convert the heathen, but who will convert me? He realized something was wrong. And so in 1739, Selena became very ill, and Theophilus' youngest sister, Lady Margaret, came to visit Selena, and over the course of the visit, she ended up sharing her testimony more, you know, just uh, more specifically with her. And so after several weeks of pondering Margaret's testimony, Selena finally realized, you know what? I I need to put my faith in Jesus alone. This is the problem. I've been doing this in my own strength. And so she finally surrendered fully to Jesus July of 1739. And it was one of those just no turning back, total transformations And it really, it's neat because her conversion set the course for her life in more ways than she probably ever would have imagined because it just so happened that Lady Margaret, Theophilus' sister, um, she married a Moravian named Benjamin Ingham. And the Moravians, again, were the ones who had pretty much led John Wesley to Christ. So, I mean, they were one of those early groups who had genuine understanding of a relationship with God, you know, prayer, studying the Bible, all of that. They were part of the pietist movement in continental Europe. And um, so they were just uniquely vibrant. In fact, they're kind of considered the founders in a way. I consider them the founders of the modern missionary movement. But part of that with the Moravians is they believed in a personal relationship with Jesus, which was not taught or practiced by the Anglicans. Right. They thought you're here in church. You're ser- you're fine. You're mm-hmm. doing good works. You you're know, taking you're communion. Up- yep. You're, out you're tithing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. But it had to do with a personal, I know Jesus. Exactly. He's my, I talk to him. I pray directly. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. And that's where the Anglicans had just kind of just put a different title on the Catholic mm. Church and allowed their clergy to marry. I know. They were kind of— yeah, This exactly. was Henry VIII that had done this. Yeah. So—and then it was passed on. So It'd be just very traditional. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those similarities. Exactly. And you'd have born-again Anglicans. Absolutely. Actually, Wesley was. He considered himself right. an Anglican all the way the rest of his life. But it just wasn't, like you said, the common, commonly taught thing, especially in the high church. Mm-hmm. And so— um, it was through Benjamin Ingham that Selena got connected with the Wesleys and George Whitfield, just as the Methodist revival was really beginning. And so she became close friends with these folks, realizing, oh, wow, we're all like-minded, especially Whitfield. And so I love how the Lord connects people through the body of Christ. This is why fellowship is important. I mean, look what begins to happen in her life now. And so uh, interestingly, now this is actually one of the kind of a tragic side note to all of this. Theophilus just kind of carried on as a religious man, but he made no genuine response to the gospel. Um, He never discouraged Selena and her passion for the Lord. Uh, Sometimes he would even go to Methodist meetings with her, but he ended up eventually kind of trying to discourage her enthusiasm. Well, she was spending a lot of his money. Right. Well, more after he died, but yes, Yes. she was starting to get connected with that. And so he just didn't see, yeah, he didn't see eye to eye on that. And Mm -hmm. so it's so sad. He died in... 1746, without making a profession of faith in Christ, he even said, and this was really sad to me, I greatly admire the morality of the Bible, but the doctrine of the atonement I cannot comprehend. Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? So something never connected with him. Mm -hmm. I just thought, oh. So, you know. Can you imagine having Wesley and Whitfield? Yes. um, To dinner at your house? Because she did on more than one occasion. Yeah. In fact, she supported their um, revivals a lot when they would go places. Mm And he never, ever—and, you know, it's really interesting because she was more in step, as you know, with George Whitfield and kind of the Reformed faith. But what she was attracted to—and you're probably going to talk about this—was the fact that Jesus paid it all. So it was Mm. atonement was the great factor Mm -hmm. that attracted her to— um, yeah, Whitfield, Whitfield and, all, and his which, ministry. Yeah, which is in and Reformed theology, which is interesting when you consider that her husband never understood. No, that. It, yeah, that's a good point. That really is. It's just, what do you do? It's mm-hmm. an individual thing that you know the Lord has to save people. <laughs> so, um, Selena now finds herself a widow in 1746, and um, she's you know here in her 30s, and uh, she had to help administer the family estates until her son Francis was of age to assume his role as the next earl. And then eventually she was freed up to really go all in and invest more fully in the movement um, through her, obviously her time, her energy, but of course her finances, like you mentioned. And Selena actually made Whitfield her chaplain in 1748, which he accepted as a great honor. And this is kind of neat because he is popularly known for preaching outdoors to the common masses. I mean, that was Whitfield's M.O. That's how he um, operated. But she often would ask him to come and preach in aristocratic circles, too. She's like, hey, they need the gospel, too, (laughs) Um, especially on her estate. So as you said, you know, they'd come over for dinner. Also, she would invite the Wesleys and stuff to preach. Um, And it's neat, too, because she made sure all of her servants had opportunity to come as well. Don't quit your chores. Don't worry about it. Just come and hear this message. She wanted everyone to hear the gospel. And so Drummond says that through George Whitfield's ministry, Selena probably made her greatest contribution to the movement. The doors that she opened for the aristocracy to hear the gospel um, through Whitfield, through the Wesleys, was a, was really significant. Again, 
a lot of her story reminds me of Hannah Moore, if you remember that podcast a while back. Way. Just, uh, way back. I don't know, last year. I don't know when that was. But there's some, some similarities there with that. You know, we've got to also preach to the upper class here. They need the gospel, too. And it's interesting because it met with mixed reviews. Um, some people really were impacted by the true gospel message, realizing as— good Anglicans, maybe we're not actually saved. <laughs> but there were others that were highly offended. In fact, um, the Duchess of Buckingham, uh, she and her hubby, fun fact, built what would eventually become Buckingham Palace. It was originally Buckingham House. Anyways, uh, she wrote to Selena and said, it is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. But that's such a aristocratic mindset. Like, we don't need Jesus in the same way that the lower class does. How dare you? You know, that was too um, where some of them had the mistaken notion. Remember that the king was, that he was the appointment by oh, God. the divine right of kings. Divine right of yeah. kings. And so the aristocracy felt that in some ways that they could do anything they wanted with totally. impunity. Totally. And the aristocracy was known for being highly immoral. So just immoral. like yeah. the street urchins, as totally. they would say. I think we've talked about before, too, how they would look down on the middle class for being faithful in their marriages right. and, and right. hardworking. And right. And moral, <laughs> upright. Yeah, moral. Exactly. Fine. So weird. Yes. The middle class is never appreciated. Yeah, that's right. That's the moral of the story Up here, the lesson. The yeah. middle class. <laughs> but, you know, Selena, you know, she, again, these are her peers saying these kinds of things to her, but she was unmoved by opposition to the revival and just kept supporting it fully. She intervened to protect the Methodists from persecution. Um, one of her biographers said, one wonders what would have become of the awakening had it not been for the influence of the countess in situations like these. I mean, she really was so important behind the scenes. And I think it's important to say that, you know, we said George Whitfield preached outside to great mm -hmm. audiences as well as Wesley, but they um, were beaten up. Yes. That they that was suffered. Not... There was a lot of persecution. They had things thrown at them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, uh, we tend to think like, oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And it is. Yeah, it is. But it was not without cost. Totally. It totally was. And yeah, because that was not done. If you're a proper minister, you don't run around outside sharing and preaching and, you know. I mean, and it was outlawed, as we said before, during the time of. Uh, right, Bunyan. Right. Charles II, mm -hmm. uh, Oliver Cromwell, and Charles yeah. I. So this is kind of a, an open door because of the tolerance that they're doing this. But they were often mugged and uh, yep. uh, people would come, what do you say, sabotage, try to sabotage oh, yeah, the revival. Yeah, hecklers. I mean, but all kinds of A lot things. of times it was the husbands of wives who had been saved. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so, but these men, the stories of salvation— and the testimonies of people coming to the Lord were amazing. Yeah, so amazing. Mm -hmm. So true. In fact, and, there's such a revival in Cornwall that most of the bars closed down yeah, the pubs. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Cornwall still has um, a lot of Wesley's influence. Yes, that's true. And it's I love that. Years. Yeah, they mm -hmm. preach to the miners and stuff. And the Yeah, that's so good. I love it. Um, Selena actually became pretty outspoken herself. Um on one occasion, the Archbishop of Canterbury was holding parties that were less than godly. And so she rebuked him like, whoa, hey, you're supposed to be an example here. And he blew her off. So she went to the king about it and he reprimanded the archbishop. So that, so that shows the influence that she had. Her biographer said Selena had influence and power and did not hesitate to use it for the good of the revival. In fact, before he went completely Looney Tunes, King George, George III. Glad yep, you brought that up. Yeah. 
it, but he had really great high regard for her before that, you know, early on in his reign. And he actually wrote to her and said, I am happy in having an opportunity of assuring your ladyship of the very good opinion of you and how highly I estimate your character, your zeal and abilities, which cannot be consecrated to a more noble purpose. So that's quite a, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking commendation. for? Commendation. Yes, a commendation, right? Just to have the king actually say that for you. So, yeah, she had— Good recommendations here. And George was supposed to, King George III was supposed to have gone crazy, partially maybe an STD. Oh, yeah. But syphilis. also because of um, losing the colonies and his policies in the colonies. And he just had some bad advice. Oh, very bad. Yeah. We've got to remember the Georges were actually German. Yeah. And they were coming <laughs> over living in England. Yeah. What are they doing here yeah, anyway? Yeah, they weren't so. as popular as they should have been. But anyway. So— the revival grows, and Selena um, begins to tour the country, visiting preachers she supported, making sure that they had opportunities to preach, either open air, right, or in churches as well. And because she was so widely respected, usually she could find favor to pave the way for them. And so um, starting in Brighton, she actually began to fund the building of Methodist chapels throughout Britain, and a lot of these are still standing today. She even had a hand in Christian education. Uh, after Whitfield had consolidated and kind of helped spread the revival in the American colonies, which we call the Great Awakening, which was kind of, an, like I said, an offshoot of all of this Methodist revival in the UK. Um, Selena helped him raise funds for his pet project, which was, which was the Bethesda or Orphanage in Georgia. And her influence on the Methodist movement in the U.S. even led to Alabama, um, Alabama's Huntington College being named after her. And I actually saw that college when I was looking for jobs and applying. I was like, oh, Huntington College, that's cool. Also... Drummond says because of her closeness to Whitfield, she had an indirect hand in the development of Princeton University and Dartmouth College, which is crazy. She even established a theological college in Wales called Trevecca College and personally funded all the expenses for the students there. So, I mean, really far-reaching influence through her support and her funding of the Methodist chapels and the chaplains. That's how the Methodist connection, as it was known, really came into being. But again, remember, on a personal level— Selena was just like the Wesleys in Whitfield. They still were committed to the Church of England. They never intended to found a denomination. It was supposed to just be a movement within the Anglican Church, kind of like the Reformation was supposed to be a movement to renew the Catholic Church, right? But that didn't work out that way. So um, the cool thing is, and I'll talk about this towards the end here as well, her biographer said she was an, an ecumenically minded person, yet at the same time committed to the established church. And so she never forced her personal conviction on other people. Um, she just said, you know, I'm staying with the Church of England. You can do what you want. But she did make sure that the students, like at Trevecca College and stuff, uh, were fully committed to the evangelical faith. Like, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's all I ask. So, you know, that's actually kind of a very modern perspective to have that kind of a view back then. Uh, over the course of her life, quote, she played a central role in the evangelical revival by being a link among the Wesleys, Whitfield, the Welsh Calvinistic Methodists, the Moravians, and the Anglican Evangelicals. And so one historian actually called her the glue that held the revi revival together because she was bringing together so many different groups. And George Whitfield and Wesley had had a falling out at one point. Oh, so yes. That actually, that's the next thing here. That's mm -hmm. perfect. Good lead-in because, you know, that's the unfortunate thing. As with many movements of God, um, the, en the enemy will inevitably try to infiltrate and cause misunderstanding and division and the Methodists were sadly not immune to that. Um, the Wesley and Whitfield were always like-minded about preaching the gospel, but theologically they did differ. Uh, Wesley was a staunch Arminian, 
And George Cal- Whitfield was, of course, a Calvinist. In fact, um, at one point, Wesley decided to publish a controversial sermon against Calvinism, which was sad. He was ignoring wise counsel of others around him who told him, you know, you really don't want to stir up those waters. Sadly, they were right, because over time, this created a breach between Wesley and Whitfield and caused tension with Lady Selina uh, because she loved and appreciated both of them. But in the end, she was closer aligned to Whitfield uh, doctrinally with as, with Calvinism. And so even though Wesley was a dear friend and she had a lot of lengthy theological discussions with him, uh, they did drift apart as time went on. And so the uh, Drummond says the tragedy is that both the Armenians and the Calvinists preached the simple gospel and were blessed of God in seeing many saved. One could be committed to either approach and preach Christ with no compromise. How sad it is that the preachers did not reconcile. And that actually is a really important point. It's like, gosh, guys, you know, just keep your eye on the main thing, which is the gospel, and everything could have been okay. But I will say this. It wasn't as ugly a falling out as a lot of people try to trump up. One time a reporter, I don't know if I shared the story before, uh, a reporter tried to, like, find some scintillating, I don't know, scandal, and he asked John Wesley, do you think you're going to see George Whitfield in heaven? And he said, no, I don't, because I think George Whitfield is going to be that much closer to the throne of God than I am. I won't even be able to see him. So to try to dispel all that garbage. So uh, in 1777, there was another incident involving the Anglican Church and the evangelicals that put Selena in hot water. But wait, I think we ought to stop and go back, because when George Whitfield died, he gave all of his estates to Selena. Yes, There's just a few more things that I think are really key. Mm -hmm. And so let's begin next week's program just ending up with some of the key factors of her life because um, her desire for missions was really something I'd love Mm -hmm. to talk about. So we'll finish with that and then we'll move on to our our next. Yes. Our next winner worth knowing. That's right. right. So we want to thank you again for joining us. And again, if you want to like us or recommend, um, a book. We've gotten some more that we're really excited about, mm-hmm. some more recommendations Always. and a couple of books, which we're really excited about. Plus, we've also have some people who are coming on the program at some time just to share kind of their specialties. Right. And so we're excited about that also. And if you have someone in your life that you would like us to give a shout out to, it can be short, it could be a little bit longer, just somebody who has ministered to you and you think that this person is a woman worth knowing, will you write to us? And you can write to us at graciouswords.com and look for the link to WWK Women Worth Knowing. And we look forward to reading your correspondence. We're so excited. So, Until next week, Mm -hmm. this is Jasmine and Cheryl saying, Thanks for joining us. We'll see you then. Hear you then. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.